0: book of James. James chapter 1 is where you'll find our text, and we're going to read together the first four verses. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and reading down to verse 4 of that chapter. Reads James. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. At the 100th anniversary of the arrival of Christian missionaries into the Democratic Republic of Congo, then known as the Belgian Congo, believers gathered from that part of the world to celebrate a centenary and a hundred years of Christianity in that country, and near the end of the celebration, a very old man stood up and he was going to give his testimony. And he said that, as he was about to die soon, that he should share something with that congregation that no one still living knew. He explained that when the missionaries first came to the Congo, his people didn't know whether to trust them or to believe their message or not. So they devised a plan whereby they would slowly and secretly poison the missionaries and watch them die. One by one, children and adults alike began to die among the missionary community. And it was when the people saw how these Christian missionaries died that they decided To believe their message. Now the missionaries never knew what was happening. They didn't even know they were being poisoned. And they didn't know why it was that they were dying. But they remained faithful to the Lord. And they remained faithful to their mission. And in so doing they convinced the people that they were ministering to that their message was really true. It may be that some of you gathered here this morning, or some of you perhaps watching online, are going through trials in your life, and you don't know the reason for those trials. But God knows. And in that knowledge, we rejoice, for ultimately, God works all things together for good and for his glory. As James opens this epistle, he is reminded that many of his readership, those among the 12 tribes scattered abroad, those messianic Jews who were living in other parts of the world, he's reminded that many of them are facing grave difficulties in life, particularly those who had fled as a consequence of persecution. They had left their homes in the hope of finding peace and liberty Elsewhere, but they soon discovered that this world is a cold house for Christians and especially for believers of Jewish extraction to whom James was writing. And so they found that they were still being persecuted and they were still suffering for their faith. And as James thought about these people And he thought about their difficulties and he thought about their trials and he thought about their suffering. The Spirit of God moved upon him to write on this issue of trial and temptation. And he has three words of encouragement to these believers in their trials that I want to bring to you this morning that I hope will lift your spirit, particularly if you are struggling as a Christian. The first thing that James wants us to know is that trials are sent to measure us. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, the word temptations there means a trial or a testing. The translation is perhaps a little bit unfortunate in that it raises in our minds the notion of enticement to sin. But that's not what the word temptation means in this particular context. And that's not what James had in mind. A little bit later in the chapter, in verse 12, he does use the word temptation in that way. But here it's indicating a trial. And what has James got to say About trials. Well, the first thing that he reminds us is that there is a certainty in trials. Notice he doesn't say, Count it all joy if you fall into diverse temptations. He doesn't say that. He says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. In other words, he's telling us that the trials of life, friends, are inescapable that the trials of life cannot be bypassed. And you can mark it down that your life at some point is going to hit the skids and there's going to be trouble. Job put it this way, man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. Man is born into trouble as the sparks fly fly upwards. So mark it down that trouble and trial are, are part of our lives. And at some point, trials are coming. We cannot get around that and we cannot get through life without them. I haven't got through life without troubles and you won't get through life without troubles either. And again, Job said this, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble." You know, they say there's only two things that you can be sure of in this life, death and taxes. Well, there's a third, and that's trials. Death and taxes and trials. And as John Blanchard put it, anybody who suggests that once a person becomes a Christian, his troubles are over, is speaking from an empty head and a closed Bible. So trials are a certainty. The second thing that James reminds us of this morning is that trials come with variety. He speaks, notice, about divers temptations. Now, that's one of those old English words we see in our Bibles, don't we? The word divers. And You say, what does it mean? Well, if you put an E on the end of that word, you'll get the modern rendition of it. It's diverse. If you put the E on the end, the word divers changed to diverse. You know, an old preacher once time said that he read the verse that talked about uh, people having diverse, diverse illnesses, diverse sicknesses. He said, "This church is full of people with diverse sicknesses. Some of you are diving out after the service to go and see relatives, and some of you are diving out to uh, to do this." And he went through all the various things they were diving to do. This is not about diving, okay? It's diverse is the idea. And so the word is speaking of diversity, of variety. It refers to something that is multicolored. Or if you are perhaps someone who has green fingers, you may have used the word variegated, referring to the foliage of a plant that has diverse shades of green within it. So we have a variety of trials. Trials, quite literally, of every shade. We may have trials at work, or trials in the home, or trials at church. We may have trials that are very personal to ourselves. We may have trials that are interpersonal, a problem with somebody else. We may have trials in our health, either our physical health or our mental health. We may have spiritual trials, or financial trials, or emotional trials. Trials come in all kinds of ships and sizes. You could experience stress, or depression, or disappointment, or criticism, or pressure, or persecution, or illness, or bereavement. There's all kinds of ways in which your life can take a turn for the worse, and that very suddenly. Of course, when we think of trials, our minds naturally go back to the book of Job, if we know our Bible. And you think about this man, you consider the troubles that befell him. And we find they came in a variety of ways for Job. He lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost his family, he lost the support of his friends, he lost the support of his wife. And so we see that trials come certainly, and trials come with variety. And then, as I mentioned, trials come suddenly. Notice James talks about falling into diverse trials. This word is used only one time in the Greek language when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, how a man is making his way uh, along the Jericho Road and he's set upon uh, by robbers and he is beaten and left uh, for dead. And the Bible uses this phrase, he fell among thieves. He fell among them. Meaning that they suddenly attacked him, that it was something that was unexpected, that he was ill-prepared for. And so it is with us when trials come. Listen, you may have a trial tomorrow that you're completely ill-prepared for. Not expecting. If you were expecting it, you'd be ready for it. If you were expecting it, you would have done something ahead of it. But it's just going to land on your doorstep, so to speak. And so we might well expect a trial, perhaps, to come in a general sense, but specifically we don't know what that trial will be. And so it's difficult to prepare for them because we cannot tell how or when the trial will come. But at least we know why the the trial will come. You no, know, as, as I mentioned earlier, the word temptation literally means testing. Trials are there to examine us. They place our lives under the spotlight. They, they put our lives under scrutiny. And they measure our growth as believers. Now understand this. We're not being tested. When trials come, you're not being tested for God's benefit. God isn't doing this to satisfy himself in some way. He doesn't allow trials to come in order that he might see how we are doing. God knows how we are doing. Rather, trials are sent so that we might measure how far we have come in the Christian walk. In other words, they reveal things about us. You know, when a teacher in school sets a test The teacher is not the one who's ultimately benefiting from the test. You know, when you think about it, if the student passes or the student fails, well, the teacher still retains their degree. The teacher still goes on teaching. It has no impact upon the teacher's life whatsoever whether the student passes or the student fails. The purpose of the testing then is to see where the student is at, how far he or she has come, to show him areas in which he needs to improve, weaknesses in which she needs to be strengthened, matters that must be addressed. And that's how it is in the trials of life. Friends, in trials our strengths are shown, but also our weaknesses are exposed. So bearing the outcome in mind, realizing that trials are sent to measure us, James offers this piece of advice to every one of us who's in adversity. He says, now listen to what he says, count it all joy. Think about that. Count it all joy. I mean, seriously, James? How can he say that? I mean, here you are and the world is falling in around your ears and your heart is broken and tears are are staining your cheeks and along comes the pastor and he sits down with you in your living room and he says, count it all joy. Now, how how would you feel if that was the advice the pastor was to give you? How would you feel you know, if if perhaps you have had some great trial come into your life? Perhaps your best friend has been told that he or she has leukemia and the pastor comes in and he says, why are you upset? And you say, well, my friend from childhood has leukemia and, and is going to die. And he says, count it all, joy. You'd be running to the broom cupboard, wouldn't you? Get a stick to beat him with. Chase him out of the room. Count it I'll give you joy. Yeah. Or maybe you find out that promotion that you'd set your heart upon and applied for has passed you by and, and is given to someone in the office who's your junior and the pastor comes in and says, Well, count it all joy? Or maybe your husband has left you and ran off with another woman and you discover that he's been seeing this woman behind your back for three years and you're sitting there with your kids and you're home and your heart is breaking and the pastor comes in and says, Count it all, Joy! He wasn't any good anyway. How are you going to feel? Said Pastor, he always has the right answer. He's always on the money. He knows exactly what to say at exactly the right time, at exactly the right moment. Never mind what's happening to you. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. But that's not what James is saying precisely. He's not saying that you should enjoy the trials. He's not saying even that you must experience joy emotionally in the midst of the trial. Rather, he's encouraging us to look down the line a little And to see where this thing is really going. Notice, he's saying here is something to consider, something to account for. My brethren, consider it all joy. He says this is something you need to bring to mind in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of your testing. You've got to bring to mind that God has an ultimate purpose in all that is happening to you, and that He is going to work this thing out for your good and for His glory and you can rejoice in that in other words he says be glad that your sufferings are not in vain see when you're having trials it's not for nothing that you're having trials it's for something there's a purpose in hardships like the missionaries that we spoke of a few moments ago in the Belgian Congo who were being poisoned. They couldn't see at the time why it was that they were burying their colleagues and their children, but now they knew that there was a why to that, that there was a reason to that, that God was allowing it for the conversion of souls in the Belgian Congo, that God was allowing them to experience tremendous grief that souls might be saved that their mission might be successful, that he might be glorified. I was watching a wee program this week during breakfast. I can't bear breakfast news anymore. It's too depressing. So I switched over and there's a wee program. If you want to watch it, it's on BBC2. Only, it's only a few minutes. Rob's in green and he's traveling around Britain and he shows you things that you've never seen before. It's really good. Anyway, this week he was up in the east of England and he went to this observatory. I think it was out in North Yorkshire or somewhere like that. And he's in this observatory and, and he's talking to the fellow who's the custodian of the observatory. And uh, the fellow is obviously doing this on a voluntary basis. These are amateur astronomers that are running this thing. And uh, he says, and, and Robson Green is an amateur astronomer. And he says, you know, isn't it, isn't it a wonderful thing? He says, you can come out here. He says, you're feeling down. You can come out and you, and you look at the stars at night. He says, how do you feel? He says, when out to this chap. He says, how do you feel when you lift up your telescope and you look out at the stars at night? And, and I was listening. And here's what he said. He said, if I have a bad day, you know, if I've had a really bad day at the office or, or something terrible has happened to me, I, I come here and I point my telescope at the sky and I look at the millions of stars and the planets and, and everything in space and then I realize that I'm but a speck in the universe and I think to myself, no matter how bad things seem to me, well, I'm really nothing and everything that is happening to me is meaningless. Friends, that is a secular worldview that everything that happens to you is meaningless, that you're just a speck of stardust that happened to arrive on this planet billions of years ago. That's the secular point of view. But that is not the Christian point of view. The Christian point of view is, yes, we are a speck in this universe. And yes, the universe is massive and expanding. But beyond the universe, outside of the universe, outside of space, outside of time, outside of matter, there is a creator God who made us from the dust of the earth and blew into our nostrils the breath of life and made us in his own image and sent his son to die on Calvary's cross to get me into heaven because he loves me. And so listen to me. My life is not meaningless. And your life is not meaningless. Your life matters to God. You're important to God. And you should know that when trials come and troubles come and struggles come and difficulties come, God has a purpose in it. And therefore, taking the long view You can count it all joy. Count it all joy. Because it's going to work out in the end. Trials are sent to measure us. And trials are sent to mellow us. Look at verse 3. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You know, people sometimes pray, Lord, give me patience. You want to be careful about praying that prayer. The Lord says you want patience. Here's some trials that'll bring you some patience. Here's what Romans says in Romans five verse three. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Trials bring patience. And to learn patience is to learn to abide under adverse circumstances. It's been well said that patience is the farmer's word. You know, he plows a field, he plants his seed, and he waits for the harvest to come. And the harvest may be threatened by flood, it may be threatened by drought, it may be threatened by frost, it may be threatened by disease, by many things. But whatever nature throws at the farmer, he just has to endure and he has to stay the course. And if there's a bad crop this year, he doesn't throw up his hands and say, well, that's me done with farming. No, come springtime, he gets his tractor out and he begins plowing the fields again and he begins to plant the seed again and he prays and hopes for a better harvest the second year. That's patience. Patience is the photographer's word. And everybody's a photographer now, aren't we? We've all got our little iPhones. And we all think we're brilliant photographers. Until you see the photographs that win photographic competitions, and then you realize that your photos are rubbish. <laughs> you say, well, how does, how does that photographer get such a wonderful photograph? Patience. You know, I, I've never seen a congregation so engrossed as this congregation was when they heard about Fredo. You're all fascinated with the frog. But if you want a picture of a frog, it's not just a case of finding one and taking take You've got to set this camera up. You've got to set it at just the right angle and just the right place. You've got to wait for just the right light, just for the right moment. Maybe the moment it does leap onto the lily pad. Maybe the moment it is jumping into the water. You've got to wait for that precise moment and then press the button and snap that picture at exactly the right time, you know, with exactly the right shutter speed, and so on. All of that takes patience. Patience is a photographer's word. Patience is a doctor's word. You know, a doctor diagnoses the problem. He prescribes the medicine. He gives you the pills. He doesn't expect you to be better after you've taken one pill. He doesn't expect you to be better after he set up the drip and walked away. He, he, He comes back the next day and the day after, and the day after that, and he checks your vital signs, and he, and he checks all, the, all of the readings. He's patiently watching and waiting to see if you're going to get better. And patience is not just the farmer's word and the photographer's word and the doctor's word. Patience is God's word because God, friends, is never in a hurry. God's never in a hurry, a bit like Kathy. <laughs> You're sorry you came late this morning, aren't you? You'll be in time tonight. Won't you? <laughs> but God's never in a hurry. He wants us to learn to wait, to endure, to persevere. And so trials mellow us. They teach us to be calm in the storm. They teach us to wait it out, and in so doing, trust God, and to look for him in the midst of the trouble. They're not mindless, merciless, meaningless woes imposed upon us by the universe, but they're Problems and difficulties that are calculated and allowed and controlled by the hand of a wise and loving Heavenly Father who has determined that out of them good will come. You see, there's a world of difference between the Christian who has been tried and the Christian who has not. You know, sometimes when we have not been through a trial, and we meet somebody who's going through a trial, we may be impatient with that person. We may think, well, they're bluffing. Oh, they need to just give themselves a shake. You know, I've had numerous people over the years that I've visited who weren't attending church for various reasons, and you'd speak to them and they'd say, well, pastor, I'm suffering from fatigue. You know, they'd have various ailments. They said, how fatigue." And in my mind, fatigue is just tired. And I was like, well, why don't you just go to bed earlier? That was what I was thinking. Didn't say that. I'm a pastor. I'm too nice to say that. But that's what I was thinking. Why don't you just go to bed earlier? Switch off the TV. Stop watching movies and football and all that. Go to bed and get yourself a good night's rest and you'll feel better in the morning. Until I had fatigue. And that happened last year when I was doing the stem cell transplant for my brother. I experienced fatigue for the first time in my life. And I was struggling. And I was in a hotel room. My, my son was with me in the hotel room. He'd come down to help me get around a little bit, brought his car and was helping me get around London. And one day he wanted to go to Camden Market. And I had been sleeping all morning with fatigue as a consequence of this treatment and he says to me dad do you want to go to Camden Market I want to go over there do you want to come with me well it was lunchtime. I thought well I better go and get something to eat so I said well I'll come with you and I'll get something to eat and you can do what you got to do and so we got on the tube and we made our way to Camden Market this was me walking through Camden Market my son looked at me he says dad what is wrong with you I said I'm just tired <laughs> <laughs> <Just> <laughs> and then on the way back I was sitting on the tube there was a little Chinese girl sitting beside me and I started falling asleep and my head was rolling onto her shoulder <laughs> and my son says her eyes were getting bigger and bigger as I was like starting to drop that was fatig- I had no control over that and I reflected upon it after I, after I was recovered from it I reflected upon those times when I'd sat with people who said to me I'm fatigued and I and I was and although I wasn't verbally critical in my mind and my heart I may have been critical of them and thought, well you're just tired or you're lazy. Just give yourself a shake. Just get up and go. What is wrong with you? Well, I'm glad to tell you now that if you are fatigued and I visit with you and you say, Pastor, I'm fatigued, <laughs> you'll get more sympathy than you may have got before. You see what happened was the trial mellowed me. Trials measure you and trials mellow you. Here's something else that trials do. Trials mature you. Look at verse 4. He says, But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That you may be perfect and entire. Who wouldn't like to be perfect and entire? You know, who who wouldn't like to be in the place where you lack nothing, where you're wanting nothing? You know, uh, that's what this is about. Testing is part of this process. The trial is not an end in itself. The trial is the means to the end. And it has to go on... Until we're perfected. That is until we're matured. And that maturity is a demonstra- demonstrable characteristic of our Christian life. But let me tell you something. Maturity doesn't come in a moment. You know why children behave like children? Because they're children. Teenagers behave like teenagers because they're teenagers. And adults should behave like adults because we're adults. But you don't go from birth to adulthood in one giant leap. It's not like you celebrate your first birthday and you're suddenly mature. It takes a lifetime to become mature. And so this is a matter of lifetime experience. You know, maturity doesn't come at the snap of your fingers. It's it's not gained by some weird and wonderful spiritual experience. It doesn't arrive alongside some kind of ecstatic, emotional, spiritual encounter. It comes through trial. God wants us to mature. If I can put this in Northern Irish lingo, he wants us to wise up. And the only way you can wise up sometimes is to go through some hard times. Take stock of things. God wants us to be entire, to be complete as believers, to be balanced in our outlook, to be wanting nothing. Count it all joy. That's not the talk of a madman. That's not talk of the talk of a pastor who's taken leave of his senses. This is the, this is the language of someone who knows of a man who's been through the trials that, uh, that has allowed him to mellow and, and mature as a believer. And I wonder this morning are you going through a trial? Is your life a struggle? Are you facing personal difficulty? Well, I want you to know there is a purpose behind your trial. That maybe you're here this morning and you're listening to this message or maybe you're listening in from home or wherever and you may feel almost overwhelmed by your trial. I want you to listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. was a verse I learned many years ago as a young Christian. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you, will not allow you to be tempted or tried above that you are able, but will with the temptation, the trial, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Do you hear that? In every trial, God ultimately makes a way to escape. There's a lovely little phrase in the Bible. You read it over and over again. You pass it all the time. It says, and it came to pass. And it came to pass that this happened. And it came to pass that that happened. And, you know, here's the thing about trials, friends. Every trial has come to pass. It's only there for a little time. It's come to pass. And when it passes, God achieves his work in your life. You know, the story is told of a, a little boy whose arms were stretched out one day in his father's corner shop while his father was piling up goods upon the son to carry. Standing in the shop that day was a customer. And as she watched the little boy beginning to get weighed down under the weight of these goods that his father was laying upon him, she said, Son, I don't think you can manage anymore. And you know what that little boy said? He said, My daddy knows how much I can carry. My daddy knows how much I can carry. Can I ask you, do you not think our Heavenly Father knows how much you can carry? Of course, He knows. And so you have to trust Him in all that He's doing. And you have to realize that he's doing it for our good and for his glory. And therefore, friends, when trials come, difficult as they are, we count them all joy. May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this morning.